Welcome. If it's your first time, it's good to have you with us. And uh, we are in a series called Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Sunday School, hence the different felt characters around the sanctuary. So anyway, we want to just hearken back to the basics, get a general survey of the scripture, and have fun in doing it. All right. Today, we're going to have our very own Isaac, man of God, come on up. He's going to read the scripture and pray Pastor Michael in. Hey, Granite Creek, how's it going? All right, so I'm going to read some scripture for y'all. I'm going to read Judges 2, 16 through 19. All right, so then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from their ways of the ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of the groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up evil practices and stubborn ways. So now I'm going to pray Pastor Michael in. So if y'all could bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for allowing us to be in your presence. Um, I pray that I pray over Michael that let it be your words and not his. Uh, We love you, God. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Good morning. I loved that scripture that he um, that he read because it's like the like the the prologue to um, to like a Western movie, like in a world where there's judges and God needs a savior. Here is the judge, you know. But it definitely does set the scene for what we're talking about today. All right. Okay, we're, we're in Judges, and if we can recap what we've talked about so far. We started with creation. We talked about how God wants a kingdom. Not only does he want a kingdom, but he wants a people, and he wants those people for him to be their God. So he creates this perfect kingdom. He creates this uh, perfect place with his rule and his blessing. Now, for however long that lasted, we don't truly know. We tend to think it's like the next day, but it probably wasn't. The fall happens. Sin comes. And God starts to work on the redemption plan. See, he's not given up on his kingdom. He's not given up on us. He's not given up on wanting that relationship with his people. So he puts in a plan for salvation. And then he gives a promise to a man. And he says, it's through you you are going to be a nation. It is through you, you are going to have a people. And it is through you, you are going to have a land. And I am going to be your God, and you are going to be my people. And not only that, but it's going to be through you that I'm going to save the world from sin. Finally, once and for all. And over time, then we get to this time of Moses And those people start to grow and to grow. And because of this world, because of the sin in this world, these people are placed in a position of slavery and they cry out to God. And God says, I'm sending you a savior. I'm sending you someone who's going to take you out of the land. And he 
does. And then not only that, he then gives them, he shows them a land and says, this is it. Now go get it. Go conquer it. And they don't do it right away, but 40 years later, Joshua walks in with the people of God and they conquer the land. They take it. They take what, what God has promised them and now they have it. But God says, take the whole land. And they don't do that. And that's where we are today, the time of judges. See, they go into the land, but they don't take everybody out. And this land, it wasn't like it was just some peaceful people. These people were involved in, in child sacrifice, in, in, in just weird stuff. And God says, that's not what I'm having for my people. We're not doing that. And you need to take them out because they cannot have an influence in my people. But they don't do it. And instead, like a small little spark, the people of God start getting influenced by them. And they start changing their ways to now they forget God and they start worshiping the other gods. It starts with a spark. How many of you guys have ever seen like a fire, not like in a fireplace, but like something like out of control <laughs> happen right before your eyes? When I was a kid, I, uh, I was hanging out with some friends, as friends do. And, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you exactly where this happened because, well, there's still probably a case involved. But <laughs> we're in the field, we're messing around, and a small fire starts. And so we start, you know, doing what all the kids do. We start stomping on it. We're, we're not even thinking. We're trying to, like, pat it out with our hands. We're kind of burning ourselves. But we're just trying to get this out. But it's just getting bigger and bigger. My friend runs across the street to his house, gets his hose. He gets, it's like a comedy of errors. He's like, oh, it gets pulled because it doesn't reach all the way to where the fire's at. But we're trying our best to pull, put it out. Nothing's working. Nothing's happening. And eventually the, the field just takes off. Now, I'm not talking like this was a small fit. I'm talking like this is like acres, acres of land. Not only did, I mean, we put houses in jeopardy. We put our school, which was right next to this field in jeopardy. This thing just takes off. And, of course, back in the 90s when cool, I mean, it happens today, but when things happen, you whip out a phone, and one of my friend's parents gets their camcorder, and they're filming it, like, wow, look at this fire. And my friend walks, is walking in the video, <laughs> saying, man, whoever set this fire, sure in some trouble. <laughs> fire departments come, a bunch of trucks. I mean, they're all over. Like, this is like blocks. The land was huge. And... Uh, yeah, there's just, they're, they're taking out the fire, and it doesn't take long before the fire department looks at us. We're like not looking at them. They said, hey, you guys, come here. Immediately separate us all. Okay, what happened? I just kept saying, I, I don't know. You don't know what happened to the fire? I don't know. I don't know. Deny, deny, deny. Other fireman's talking to this guy. Other fireman's talking to this guy. What's happening? What's happening? They bring us back together. They said, okay, so let me get this straight. You said that you were catching lizards 
you set one on fire and the lizard ran into the bush, which caused the fire. My friend's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, you said that you were throwing rocks and the rock hit like a matchbook and there was a spark that miraculously happened and then there was a fire. Uh-huh. And you said you were throwing rocks at a lizard that caught it on fire? Uh-huh. And you said, I don't know. We knew we were in trouble. We were done. But for some reason, they just said, okay, go stand over there. They didn't take our names. They didn't ask any more questions. But they knew what we, they knew what we did. You want to know the truth of it? Fireworks. It's good old-fashioned fireworks. That, you know, you have a friend that's like, I'm going to New Mexico. What's your order? Put in an order for all our fireworks. He brings it. And of course we're going to light. And my whole life I get told by my dad, don't light the fireworks because it's going to cause a house to burn down. Yeah, right. Like, I've never seen that. Like, you look at the house, like, there's no way all of a sudden the house is just going to catch on fire from a little bottle rocket. Well, eventually the little poppers turn into firecrackers, and firecrackers turn into those flower things, and then it's bottle rockets, and it's Roman candles, and then eventually you're setting the whole field on fire. You know, the, the funny, I didn't say this first service, but I'll tell you what we were doing. We were getting the bottle rockets, and we were standing in the field, and then we'd throw the bottle rocket in the air, and we're like, don't move, and thinking the bottle rocket's going to come hit one of us. <laughs> That's what really happened. So all of a sudden, you know, like, hey, why is there smoke in that one area? I don't know. It's funny, yeah, I do drive by that field, and I tell my kids, like, yeah, that's the field where Daddy played. We did all sorts of cool things, but no story of the fire will ever come. My parents, my parents didn't even know. No parents didn't even know about it. But that's the crazy thing about what we're learning today and about where we are in the story of God's kingdom and the people of Judges, in the time of Judges. It was this constant cycle of sin and grace. They would sin, they would mess up, God would leave them, then they'd get oppressed, and then they'd call for God back, and God will send a rescuer. Here you go, you're fine. Great, they'll live great for years, that judge will die, and they go right back into sin. It's like when you're with your siblings, and then mom leaves the room. Immediately you're back at it. Or when you're driving fast and a cop gets behind you and then you're wide-eyed and you slow down and you're freaking out and then the cop makes a left turn and then you're like, oh, okay, good. And you take off again really fast. (laughs) It's that idea. We're good for now, but when the judge is gone, we go right back to it. And this is God's people. It was the influence that they kept having. And so for that, we're going to talk about one judge in particular. Now, these judges that God raised up, men and women, some were great, some were not. But I want to give a disclaimer right now, because today's judge, not very good. The disclaimer is this. Don't focus on the Savior that God raised up, but on the God who saves. Remember that. Because today's judge we're talking about is Samson. You guys have all heard Samson? You guys remember in children's ministry, you talk about, you know, the teacher's like, look, look, listen, listen. Here's a man that you should, 
you know, he had the faith, he had all this muscles, he was strong, and God used him in miraculous ways to save the people. And you're like, as a kid, like, wow, that's cool. But then you realize, and you read his story as an adult, he's like one of the worst people <laughs> that God has ever used. And that's Samson. And again, don't focus on the Savior who God raised up, but focus on the God who saves. So when the last judge died, Abaddon, Abaddon was back. They, the people went back to worshiping, and they started worshiping the gods of the Philistines. And because of that, eventually the Philistine culture, lifestyle, they just oppressed God's people, and they took over. And, and that's where we are today. An angel comes, meets with a barren woman, and says that you are going to have a child. Not only are you going to have a child, but the child is going to be set apart for my purpose. He's going to save my people. Not only that, but he's going to be a Nazarite. He's taking the Nazarite vow. Now, in Numbers, it talks about what is a Nazarite. Right? What exactly is it? It's a couple of things. A Nazarite vow is for a specific period of time. So it wasn't like forever. It was like, you, I'm choosing to do the Nazarite vow. There's an end date. It's done willingly. Like you have to choose to want to do that because it's not for everybody, but you have to want to do that. You can't, now if you do decide to do that, you can't have any alcohol, can't drink wine, you can't have grapes, you can't even have anything that leads to a fermented drink. The other thing is, unfortunately, you can't touch dead things. Unfortunately, I know people like to touch dead things. Um, but you can't touch anything dead, okay? And the other thing is, you can't shave your head cannot shave your hair, right? I'm starting to do that myself on the back of my hair. Um, but that's a Nazarite. And the, the, the weird thing is, is that up until this point, people chose to live like that. So when God says to this woman, you're going to have a child and he's going to be a Nazarite from the time of, in your womb, this is special. This is different. This isn't normal. And where we're going to be at in Judges, starting in chapter 13... It says, the woman gave birth to a boy, named him Samson. He grew in the Lord, he, I'm sorry, he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. He began to stir him. As a boy already, God's preparing like you and me, Samson, our hearts are going to beat as one. You're going to be dedicated to me. We're going to do amazing things. That's pretty cool. That's amazing. So where do we go from this point? Well, as Samson gets older, he goes to his mom and dad. His mom, dad, I saw this Philistine girl. I'm going to marry her. Go get her for me. Apparently, that's what you did back then. He said, no, son, no, you don't want that. You, you, you want someone from our people. You want someone from our tribe. You want someone that's going to share our same values. They're going to believe in the same God that we believe that's not going to corrupt us. No, that girl's pretty. That's the one I want. Go get that one. And so they walk down to the Philistine camp or the Philistine city. And on, on their way, a lion jumps out. And the Bible says that he ripped the lion apart with his bare hands like one who would rip a young goat. I mean, I know they put that in the Bible and it probably meant something to somebody, like the comparison with a young goat and a lion. 
I don't know. But it's still pretty cool. He rips, <laughs> he rips the lion apart with his bare hands. Now, as a father, you're walking with your kids. The father is the one that's supposed to jump into action, protect their kids. He's like, nah, dad, I got this. <laughs> throws the lion carcass, throws it aside. They go into the village. He said, that's the one I want. He said, great, let's go back to our house. We'll prepare. You prepare for the feast. They go back. Sometime later, Samson's walking to his wedding, and he's like, hey, didn't I kill a lion around here somewhere? And he goes, oh, yeah, here it is. Throws it. That's like the most manliest thing. Like, if I ever kill a lion, you best believe it. I'm going to show everybody. Like, this is the one I killed right here, this one. Except for while he's seeing that lion, he sees honey. He gets the honey, because bees are in there, gets the honey out of the lion and eats it. That's pretty gross. But what did he do that he's not supposed to do? He touched something dead. Right? Oh, but no, no, yeah, I'm a Nazareth. I'm not supposed to touch people dead. But if there's honey in there, I'm going to take it. He even gives some to his parents, but specifically the Bible says... He scooped out honey with his hands, and he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some of the honey to eat, but he did not tell them that he had taken it from a lion's carcass because he knew what he was doing was wrong. But still, a lion is pretty cool. So they go, they have the wedding, during the wedding, it's a seven-day feast. It's not like our typical weddings. It's a seven-day-long party. And when he goes there, it was the, 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 in the time where uh, the Philistines provided your best men. You didn't get to choose your men. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't really talk about Samson having friends anyways. But he had his own group of people that the Philistines provided for him. And while he's there, he has a moment to talk to them. He says, hey, I'm going to con them. I'm going to give them a riddle. And if you can figure out this riddle, I will give you 30 pairs of clothes and 30 linens, which is a lot in those times. Um, and they're like, oh, sure. But if we don't, you know, then you got to give it to Samson. We can't figure it out. Sure, we love riddles. Who doesn't love riddles? Samson says this. Here's the riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. This is like straight out of Lord of the Rings. It's like, what's in my pocket riddle? It's impossible to know unless you're there, right? It's impossible. He's conning them. He knows what he's doing. He's like, here's a chance for me to get some clothes that I can keep, sell for myself. This is awesome. They're never going to get it. And for seven days during this wedding, these men can't do it. They start freaking out. We, we can't, we don't have all this stuff to pay him. What are we going to do? They go to his wife. They say, look, if you don't get the answer out of your new husband, we're going to kill you. She goes to Samson crying, like, they're going to kill me. He goes, man, I'm not telling you. I didn't even tell my parents. Eventually he does. And they go to him and they say this. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men in the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, if you have not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. I'm just going to leave that one alone. I told you he's not a good dude. Not a good dude. This is a new wife too. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those 
who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of the companions who had attended the rest of the feast. He's, he's like, I, I don't have this stuff either. I, I can't afford it. So he goes, finds a Philistine camp, beats the tar out of them, takes their clothes. Pretty much he's stealing it, gives it to the people he owes, throws it at their feet, has a fit, leaves. I'm done. I'm out. And dad's like, well, I guess your husband's gone. He just killed a bunch of people and bloody clothes, and I'm going to just marry you off to somebody else. After Samson's fit, again, it doesn't say how long, but he returns. He returns. He's like, okay, I'm better now. I'm composed myself. I'm going to go get my wife. But the guy's like, dude, you just, you left. It's too late. I, I'm giving your, I gave your wife to somebody else. It's, it's over. We didn't think you were, we thought you were mad at her. You called her a heifer. You're, it's over. <laughs> what do you think? Samson says, well, that's it. Now I'm really mad. Goes out, does like this miraculous catching 300 foxes, ties their tails together, puts a torch in the middle of it. Man, I have a hard time just like trying to get three kids dressed. Let's be real. My wife has a hard time getting three kids dressed. (laughs) You know, I can't imagine how he's like gathering all these foxes, but he does it. Sends the foxes into the Philistine fields. Those, the, the fields immediately catch on fire. And now you're messing with the Philistines bottom line. Now you're messing with their money. And now they're like, that's it. Get the army. We're going to Judah. We're going to Israel. We're going to attack these people. And so they go to Judah. And the people of Judah say this. Why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Three, then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave of Edom and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are, are, are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. Did you catch that? Did you catch where the heart of God's people is in that moment? Don't mess with the people who are ruling over us. Don't mess with the Philistines. I talked about how in Judges it was all about they would mess up, they would cry out for forgiveness, God would send a Savior. The Israelite people, they just, they're, they're just now used to losing. They gave up. They're not even crying out to God anymore. But don't rock the boat, Samson. They're rulers over us. They take them, he says, okay, look, don't arrest, don't, don't kill me yourselves, just take me in. They tie him up, he takes him to the Philistines, and once he gets there, he just buffs out, rips the, rips the, the, the ropes off and kills, gets a fresh donkey bone, which is, again, what? A dead thing. Kills a thousand men, a thousand Philistines. One turn. And for the next 20 years, the Philistine people don't do anything to him. They're like, we don't mess with Samson. We're not giving up our, our, our claim to the people of, to God, to people of Israel. We're not messing with Samson. For 20 years, Samson was Israel's judge. So what did he do with it? 
in that 20 years did Samson finally say, okay, God, make me into the man that I'm supposed to be. God, you know, let, let's do this. Let's gather the people. Let's, let's bring inspiration back to the people. And let's, let's attack the Philistines. With me in front of everybody, no one has a chance. Let's see, 16.1. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and he went to spend the night with her. Well, now he... I guess that's what he did. Spent the next year doing what he wanted to do. He didn't want to do things God's way. He wanted to do things his way. And yes, the people, the Philistine people didn't mess with him, but they were still oppressing God's people. He became a thorn in the people of the Philistine's side, or a thorn in their side. They didn't know what to do with him. They schemed, they plotted, they didn't know what to do until one day Samson fell in love. He found a woman named Delilah and was head over heels for her. Think back to when, you know, love and you first, like, oh, I'll do anything. Oh, my blinders are on. I don't care what everyone says. I'm in love with Delilah. This big, strong dude now just nothing. But when the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him, each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels. Each one of us, 1,100 shekels. Now where Samson was falling in love with Delilah, Delilah was falling in love with the money. And she agrees. And so Delilah said to Samson, tell me your secret of your great strength as she's rubbing his hair. And how can you be tied up and subdued? Samson answered to her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. And the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied them, and she tied him with them. When the man in the room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it came close to a flame. So the secret of strength was not discovered. Samson, what's your secret? Ah, just bowstrings. Time you up. I'll be weak. Oh my gosh, there's some men coming to get you. Samson, that wasn't your secret. Samson, that's not it. What, what really is the thing that gets you? She tries again. Well, it's uh, never used ropes. Ropes that have never been used. That, that, that's it. That's not your secret, Samson. Why don't you tell me the truth? Seven braids in my hair. If you braid my hair in seven braids, that's it. Samson, the Philistines are here. Breaks it. He's fine. At no point did it ever dawn on Samson that every time he gets tied up, a bunch of men come into his room. <laughs> well, almost every time. You notice when he says the seven braids of his hair, what's he getting close to? Getting close to the truth, right? Before his ropes, before his bowstrings, now he's kind of like dancing on the edge of sin. 
It's right there. It's my hair. After the Bible actually says that she nagged him over and over. When Delilah saw, he tells her that I'm a Nazarite and that no razor can ever touch my head. So when Delilah, Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But when he did not know that the Lord had left him, when the Philistines seized him, they gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to the grinding stone in prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's got to be one of the most saddest scriptures in the Bible. I'm going to go out and do what I've always done because God's always gotten me out of trouble. God's always been there for me. doesn't matter what I do. God's always been there for me. Until he gets finally hit in the face and gets knocked down. Because God left him. And he didn't know it. That's a question. If God ever left us, would we know it? He didn't. So they take him. They take him to Gaza. They take him. And during the festival of their god, Dagon, they bring him out to mock. It's interesting that they kept... It's interesting that the people never... They always wanted to subdue him. They never just wanted to outright kill Samson. They always just wanted to subdue him. And so they take him in. They mock him. They're having this festival. There's 3,000 people in this temple from the top of the ceiling and in the bottom. And they bring him out. They're mocking him like, oh, yeah, remember that strong guy that used to beat the crap out of us? Well, here he is now. Nothing. Where's that God of Israel? Nothing. And so Samson asks the servant who's guiding him because he's blind, take me to the pillars that hold up the roof. Samson puts his hands on those pillars and says this last thing. Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Praise God. Please God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed more, many more when he died than while he lived. And that's the tragedy of Samson. Did you notice this is the only part where Samson actually prays to God? It's at the very end of his life does he realize who he is and who God is. See, his whole life he relied on his own strength. He relied on the very giftings that God gave him 
but never on God. It's a tragedy. It's so sad. And yet, there's movies that depict a completely different story. Tragedy of Samson is wasted potential. So what do we do with this? Number one, don't forget the enemy. Don't forget we have an enemy. Like I said before, the people of Israel gave up crying to God. They accepted to be slaves again. They accepted to be oppressed. They didn't even bother to say, God, help us anymore. They're like, well, this is just the way it is. They forgot how to fight. They forgot to fight. When I, I, I coached the junior high in, in football, and, and we switched from year to year, so I coached seventh grade, and then when it comes to, to eighth grade, I'm still coaching the same kids. And one year in seventh grade, I had this kid that was just... I mean, some people would look at him and be like, oh, he's a bad sport. He would get upset. He would yell at his teammates. He'd get mad every time I'd take him out because he was kind of getting out of control. And he was just kind of a nightmare. And when it came to eighth grade, and we're picking, you know, me and this other coach were, were choosing during the trials, which kid? I said, I want this kid back on the team. And they said, why? Why would you do that? Other teachers like, like, really? You put him back on the team? And I'm like, there's only one reason why I want this kid on here is because he fights. He plays. Yes, he can come across as a bad sport, but he cares whether or not he's doing good or not. So yes, I will deal with him when I need to deal with him, but for the most part, I want him on the team because he fights. Man, I can't tell you how encouraging it was to see yesterday these women and a couple men marching in this sanctuary albeit with flags and a horn. <laughs> I'll be honest, it's not my cup of tea, but I was encouraged to see that because these are women that are still fighting. They're not marching for the sake of, oh, this is fun. But there was a purpose behind it. They were fighting. They would know that there's an enemy. They know that that enemy is sin, and that enemy will try to entrap us. And they are fighting for us, for the church, for, 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 for God's people everywhere, they're fighting. They have not forgot that there's an enemy because God created us to be overcomers. He created us to be conquerors and nothing less. And I get it. I've had many prayers that go unanswered and, I, and it gets to the point where I just stop. And I'm like, I'm wasting my time. But don't, let me encourage you. If it's that important to you, if it's something that is going to benefit you, benefit your family, don't stop praying. Don't stop fighting. If you feel like you just keep getting sunk into sin over and over and over, that I just can't get over this. I can't, every time I just, I, I think I'm, I'm okay, but then all of a sudden I, I sink right back into it. Don't stop. Keep trying. Tomorrow's another day. Don't stop fighting. Don't forget we have an enemy. And the second thing is this, and here's the reason why we can't stop trying to overcome sin. It's because spiritual failure is seldom an explosion. It's usually an erosion. We're not just going to leave church here today and then like do a bunch of like crazy like drugs and sex and crazy sins, right? We're not going to do that. It's the small things that is going to get us to that point. 
It's going to eat at us. It's going to work at us. It's those thoughts that the enemy puts in your head to question things, to, 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 to not believe the best in other people. And that's why we can't stop fighting sin because eventually, if we let it, that sin will erode us. And Samson knew that. He knew that he had an enemy except for the difference that Samson had strength. He thought he could overcome that on his own. Like, I don't need to worry about God. I don't need to do I, Look what I've been doing. Killed a lion. I don't need it. I can rely on my own strength. David Guzik says it best about Samson and about this whole, this whole story. He says, it's a tragic example of wasted potential and rejection of God's warnings. Samson thought he could get away with sin. He misinterpreted the merciful delay of God's judgment or correction as a sign that God really didn't care. He therefore presumed on God's mercy and continued on in his sin, making things far worse. Misinterpreted merciful delay for God's judgment. We cannot confuse success with blessing. We can have success without blessing, right? We can't think that, oh, just because we have success, we're being blessed. God doesn't work that way. God is full of so much grace and so much mercy, but there is going to come a point where that, that sin, that choice that we make, is going to have natural consequences. And for Samson, it was too late. I, I, I really don't think that there was something special about his hair. There wasn't magical hair. It's just a point where God says, you've gone too far. And Nazarite vowed that the hair is, is a symbol of saying that you follow me and you've, take, you've, let, you've let that go. Now how do you even know that, how, how does anyone know that you're my person? You're my people. Last thing. God's kingdom is grace. If I can sum it up in one word, that kingdom is grace. From the very beginning of creation, when Adam and Eve messed up, God's grace was still there. God still clothed them. He still looked after them. Yes, they had to leave the garden and leave that protection, but God's grace was still there. God started the redemption plan at that moment by telling Adam and Eve that your son is going to crush the head of serpent, the very thing that deceived you, that your line, not your son, your line, will do this. God's grace was there. God's grace was there with Abraham, who, who he, he chose a man that, again, there's nothing special about Abraham. There is nothing that he did to earn that I'm choosing you. All that Abraham did was, okay, God, I believe you. And to him, it was credited as righteousness because he chose to believe him. God's grace was there. God's grace was there when, when Moses kept saying, like, I don't know, Lord, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And God said, no, enough. My people have been crying out. You need to send, I am sending you, and I'm going to provide you with everything that you need. Go and do. You're not alone. I am with you. And then God's grace was there when they walked into a situation when the, in the conquest where it's impossible to fight, to take a bunch of like 
people that have been starving in the wilderness, not starving, but just wandering in the wilderness, pretty much they're farmers, ex, ex-slaves, to walk and to fight major armies with major cities. It was impossible. And God said, no, but my grace is here because with me, you can do anything. You can go in and you can do that. And when the people still mess up, when the people still would cry out, God, we need a judge. We need somebody right now to rectify this, to help us. God said, okay, here you go. And then they'd mess up and mess up and mess up. And then when the people finally stopped crying out, when they've accepted things, God's grace was still there. Like, I'm going to send you somebody and you don't even ask for it. Man, by all accounts, I got the band come on up. By all accounts, I should have been done with lighting that field on fire. I don't think there was a time where I even like, okay, God, help this fire to just be gone. I never cried out to God. But God's grace was there. God's grace was there. So think about, think about right now in, in, in your lives. Think about where you need God's grace the most. Because like Samson, even at the end of the day, yes, it took his whole life and it took the very end of his life to realize that he needed God. God's grace was still there and was with Samson. It's never too late to come home. It's never too late to have that grace. And why? Why do we have that grace? Because sometime, some years later, after Samson, a lot of years later, there's going to be another little girl that's going to get visited by an angel, and then, and then God's going to say, I'm going to give you a child. That child's going to be set apart for my purpose. And that child's going to grow up. That child, too, just like Samson, is going to be mocked, is trying to, going to be, try to be oppressed, binded, and eventually, like Samson, will have his arms stretched. Except for not like Samson, he's not just going to kill 3,000. That child... Jesus is going to save the world. He's going to bring the destruction of sin forever. Our true enemy. And so church, know that you have a God that loves you and that at a moment's notice, that God is going to shower grace upon you when you genuinely want it. That's God's kingdom. We're halfway At this point, we're halfway there. Amen? Amen. And oh, how he loves us all.
Okay, I did forget. We can have the ushers come on up. The beautiful thing, not only does God give us grace, but he also gives us gifts. Just like Samson, Samson had incredible gifts, but he wasted potential. So this week, use your gifts for the kingdom, be it in your family, at work, at school, not yet, but soon school. Use those gifts and trust in the God that gave you those gifts. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he shower you with grace and gifts. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for this time. We ask that you bless the offering and bless your people. In your name, amen.